Elvis, 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 You know that feeling when you've been out in the ocean too long and you're really, really cold and then someone brings you into their house and then you kind of pass out from the fever and you have some weird dreams. I know that feeling. Yeah. I think we've all been there. It's that same feeling that you get when like you're trying to date a girl, but she keeps dating like 12 other people and like you at the same time are working for like a magazine company where you take pictures of pretty ladies. Is it like that? Yeah, it's kind of like that. Is, is it similar to that? Yeah. It's like that thing where you go to your apartment and it turns out that someone has moved you out of your apartment and taken all your furniture and there's a new tenant in there and you're like, wait a minute, what the heck? I live here. And they're like, no, I live here. <laughs> yeah. All those things and more <laughs> we shall find in today's episode <laughs> of Elvis Woo! has left the movies. Killer opening, Matt. You've nailed it out of the park yet again. Wonderful job. Yes. Yeah. What? What? Okay. So we watched Live a Little, Love a Little. 1968. And we hated it. Matt hated it so much that he liked it. I hated it so much that it gave me cancer. No, this this is <laughs> this is a good bad movie. This is no, I, think I, I don't know right. if this is a good bad movie. I mean, I I think it can be if you sit down with a group of people and you're like, today we're gonna watch a bad Elvis movie. I, I think it, I think you're right that it can be a good bad movie, but when you're trying to watch it for a podcast, it's just a bad movie. You're not watching it properly then. <laughs> We're like 28 movies in. I guess so. I think I think what it is, it's, it's that I'm like so beat down by how awful these films are in general that I don't even have the energy in me anymore to be like sarcastically delighted by how bad some of these films you are. Because never, you never went through the final steps. You got to go through acceptance. That's the last step. And then- True, true. You're stuck on just anger and, and, yeah. and, and like- <laughs> Just not. It's true. I'm I'm furious. <laughs> I'm furious that I've spent weeks of my life watching these movies. I'm furious that this movie exists in particular. And I really hate that dog dream sequence. Like that really nope. for me was what I was like. Hey, that's it. That's where it peaks. This. It's so cursed. It's so fucking. Oh yeah, cursed. I want to unleash this movie upon as many people as I can because they won't <laughs> Just see to- it coming and. <laughs> They'll, it'll be that thing where they'll be like, Matt, Matt's what ha- Matt, what's happening? And they'll look at me and I'll just be like dead silent and I'll just kind of like just stare at them like, mm-hmm. This is where it's going. Yeah. Uh, for Halloween next year, I'm going to be that dog and scare the living cripes out of any child that walks past me. Yeah. By the way, for those of you who are not going to watch the movie, picture a man wearing a velour onesie and then picture that same man wearing like a sculpted velour dog mask with a big floppy just, tongue because he's playing a great game uh, yeah it's just oh uh, yeah talk about other fucking things i hate in this movie i don't like the great dane what's the what's the point with the what's what's with what's, what's with the dog you know what i think you know what i think this movie was trying to do mm-hmm. i think this was trying to pull off one of those what's that one with audrey hepburn and the cat that she won't name and breakfast at tiffany's breakfast at tiffany's i think this movie was trying to pull a breakfast at tiffany's they were trying to like show you this girl who's really cosmopolitan and really loosey-goosey and doesn't want to be pinned down and she's got a pet that she has like this thing going on with and like i think they were really trying to capture that same energy 
but they just failed flat on their face. I'll tell you what they're just trying to capture. Okay. The only thing it has in common with Breakfast at Tiffany's is that it was an adaptation of some writing. Okay. But unlike Breakfast at Tiffany's, it was pretty, it skewed pretty close to the source material. And in fact, the novelist, the writer of the book, co-wrote the screenplay for this, so he adapted his own material. Wow. And his book is just insane. That's yeah, what he's okay. adapting. It's all in there. Right. The in the book, the Great Dane is a German Shepherd, but it's the exact same principle. His name is Albert. He's like huge. Uh, he keeps getting referred to as a horse multiple times because he's so big. Yeah, that's so funny. Ha ha ha. Call a dog a horse. Ha ha ha. Look. It's not like it's another, it's it's big air quotes here. It's super satirical, goofy novel. And you know, here's the thing. So in the book, the main character is 28 and the novelist, Dan Greenberg, who wrote it, was 28 at the time. Right. And it definitely is, has that vibe of like, and it has in the book, there's a lot of like clever word play and like turns of phrase. And it's like, right. It's like a college dude bro book, kind of like, oh, yeah, look that's at me. what I was going to say. Throw in know, some fun little things. Yeah. The thing too, that like, I really didn't like about this movie is that if you think about it just a little too much, you start to really see that this is kind of a mean, cynical portrayal of like women. So what? She dates around like. There's a part in the movie where Elvis is like, if you'd start acting like a woman, men would like you more. And it's like, are you really like mansplaining to her that she doesn't act feminine enough for you to be able to get your rocks off? Like, it's just so stupid, you know, so basic. This is a basic movie. Okay. She makes some questionable choices, though. You have to admit that. I mean, the movie is a series of questionable choices. Sure, sure. I guess it's worse, too, in the book. In the book, the setup is the same where he's on the beach and then she's like, oh, can I sit down and stuff? And then she she goads him into kissing her. And then in the book, yeah. she immediately pushes him away and says, police, police, he's trying to assault me. And then the cops show up. And that's why Elvis, well, not Elvis yeah. in the book, he has to like run into the water and just kind of sit there and then almost get hypothermia or something. Yeah, th- I will say like there, there's things in this movie that happened like, and, and again, I'm not this is this is the portrayal of a woman. This is not an actual woman who has actually done this shit. This is right. a, a woman that some guy wrote about and was like, haha, this would be look at this crazy lady. She's doing these crazy things. Aren't women crazy? Are you am I right, my guys? <laughs> four twenty blaze it, whatever. Like so the part where she moves all of his stuff out of his apartment and into her place. That's pretty fucked up, right? Imagine somebody like actually did that to you. Just like Picture that in your mind. Imagine being a girl and some guy that you met on the beach who won't leave you the fuck alone picks up all of your shit out of your apartment and moves it. Like, that would be scary. That would be a stalker and I would call the police. And I don't think it's funny and I don't think it's like a funny little romp and a funny little joke. It just makes me feel like, ew, gross. You guys are being gross. You're being a couple of gross people laughing at like these weird fucking gross things that you invented for yourself to laugh over. No, I don't like it. It is very fashionable. I was gonna, I like yeah, I was gonna bring up. I was like, at least you should be able to yeah. speak upon the costumes and and. Yeah, is that our girl um, Edna Krabappel or whatever? <laughs> Edith Head? No, no. Edith this Head? is MGM. No. This is not Paramount. So. Uh... Oh, I forgot because I don't retain any information. They they were really nice. They were really like um, there's uh there was one dress in particular that I just got a really fleeting glance of that had like a a paneled box skirt back opening with a little bow and it was powder blue on the outside and bright yellow on the inside it was fabulous it was so good Mm. i saw it and i was like oh it looks like somebody actually knows how to sew (laughs) very good 
A lot of bright, bright colors, a lot of nice, pretty things to look at. And I like the actress, too, that plays the main girl. I found her super delightful. She was she was handpicked by Elvis. We'll get into that. Oh, yeah. Nice. That's fucking hot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Uh, no, I really liked her. I liked her squeaky little voice. Like I said, I read I, I read the book. We'll get into the book as well. A bit OK, more. so I read the book. This is based to. off of <laughs> Morgan. I didn't read it for nothing. <laughs> Yeah, you read it to rain down shit on me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So what do you want to get into first? Do you want to talk about the book first? Do you want to talk about the actors? Do you want to talk about the people responsible for this hot, hot, hot pile of trash? What do you want to talk about? I don't know. What do we usually do? Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, usually we... Uh, what do we... It was a trick question. We never do it the same way twice, which is how we can (laughs) never quite know what the heck we're up to. Oh, let's do the, let's do the ask me how many songs I think there are. Sure. How many songs are there? There's four of them. Yes. Including the title track. Aha. See, it only took 29, 30 episodes for me to start paying attention. Uh, Although there is no title track this time. Oh, well the, the track that plays that it's Elvis singing, but Mm -hmm, he's not mm -hmm. actually singing on the movie. I knew what you meant. Which plays during the opening of the movie, which would make it a title track. Or is the title track? If there was that, a song called "Live a Little, Love a Little," that would make it a title. That track. would be the t- oh, okay, I see. Yes, 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 I see. Okay, this is the deconstructed title track. Uh, yeah, so there's only four songs, which is the same thing that we—that's a holdover from "Stay Away, Joe," mm. and pretty much the remainder yeah. of these movies. Good, including one movie we'll get to, which has no songs at all except for a title song. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, um yes i liked the songs on this one too well there's one of them that would go yes. on to be it wasn't a hit when it yes. came out and in fact it bombed spectacularly oh really yes and that's why and elvis was frustrated because he actually really liked that song he's like i feel like this one has potential and it did have potential but it turns out it had to wait like a few decades and then get remixed yeah and then it would somebody yeah, did it get hit. popular in like the early 2000s or yes something like yes that? it did we'll talk about it yeah oh so, god i used to listen i used to listen to that song on repeat oh yeah i used to watch the music video 24 <laughs> 7 back when they yeah. played music videos those were the days <laughs> yeah it's pretty great so there's a song wonderful world which is the opening all the titles are playing while he's just yeah cruising with his dune buggy just going down yeah, he, stairs yeah and he like, looked like he was gonna blow up <laughs> like he looked like he was driving drunk now they were that song was fine yeah it was acceptable yeah. I was like, how many times have we had like Wonderful Life, Wonderful World? Like, I, I'm like, this, yeah. they've used this title so many times already, but this is still a different song. It's like, okay, all right. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure there was one from Roust about that was like, what a wonderful world. Like, they just added an extra word, but it was like, it's the exact same sentiment. It's the exact same, like, yeah. Gee, golly, gee, what a fun time to be alive. Woo, woo, woo. Anyways. True. Next track Edge of Reality, which is the. I liked this one. This is, yeah, and this is the dream sequence, fever dream. Yeah. It was weird. I, I will say, like, it was a cool setup for a music video. It was a really interesting way for a film to, like, mm-hmm. go from talking scenes to musical scenes. I think that that was, like, an interesting way to do it. But, yeah, it was a fucking fever dream. It was really strange. In the opening credits, I noticed that they specifically had a choreographer for that sequence and a choreographer for the next song we'll be talking about. Right. So we'll give a shout out to Jack Regis, who did... The dream sequence, hmm. and then Jack Baker oh. did the the setup for a little less conversation. Huh. The other big song, the third song. Yeah, he was part of the musical. He staged the musical numbers for It Happened at the World's Fair and Spin Out. Oh, so he's worked on Elvis movies before. Neat. And then there's the last song where Elvis sings to the lady, and it's pretty boring. We gotta have a ballad, almost in love. Yeah, yeah. gotta have a ballad. Except for that one time we didn't have a ballad. 
So they could have done it again, but they're like, no, we always got to have a ballot now. Yeah. So this movie introduces a little less conversation. Yeah. And like I said, compared to many of the mediocre songs of Elvis's Hollywood career, Presley, in fact, did enjoy this song. I believe it could be a hit, although it didn't kind of live up to it at the time. Mm-hmm. And then 2002, 2003, this, they, it was back on num- as number one because it got remixed yep. by uh, JXL, Junkie XL. <laughs> He's the guy who did the score for Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he's pivoted into doing really good high-octane film scores, and it's like, hell yeah. Nice. Hmm, neat. So yeah, 34 years after the fact. Yeah, nice. number one hit. What do you think? Do you like the original or do you like the remix? I think they're both fine. I'm I, I'm still, I'm just wondering why it wasn't, it didn't catch on as much at the time because it has the same, the, the spirit is there. I think it probably had something to do with um, just the timing of it, like... I have a feeling that at this stage, Elvis movies were starting to lose their oomph. I've, well, I, I would say we're at, yeah, we're like actually a few years past that point where they've already lost their right. oomph. So yeah, I guess they were yeah. just like, it's another, it's from an Elvis movie, so it can't be good. And they just kind of, that mentality might have clouded people's judgment more than mm-hmm. Yeah. It could also be too, like the the rhetoric behind like what style of music was popular is ever changing. Elvis sure, is starting sure. to get left behind a little bit, you know. It's not making it's probably I don't think making it to a lot of number one positions to begin with, let alone stuff that's you know, in the movies, you know? Yeah. It was only after could he be. finished and did like the albums with you know when he mm-hmm. hit suspicious minds, that's when he had another oh, yeah. number one hit. Yeah. After he was finished with these yeah. films. But it's really interesting to see that sound starting to come, mm, right? Yeah. That's the nice thing. Like for like this was one of my favorite eras of of Elvis music was when they started getting really like, you know, violins and a choir in the background. Sure, and sure. You can feel the you full. can feel the Motown is really yeah, yeah. coming, you know? Like Kentucky Rain is going to come soon, I'm pretty sure. Suspicious Minds, yeah. You know, it's just a, uh, I just love that stuff. Love it so much. So I was really happy to see that, like, that I was really happy to see in this movie. I was like, huh, I guess it's not total garbage because it has a, another of my really favorite songs in it. Hooray! Which, since you brought it up, I want to I go like a, a callback to a previous episode. I'm I'm pretty much convinced that the reason you were so adamant that Elvis was born in Kentucky is because he sang the song Kentucky Rain. Absolutely. There's definitely, Absolutely. there. that's the correlation. Right <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Where else could he be from? He knows so much about Kentucky. Doesn't I mean, make he knows sense. about the rain. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Um, hey, you know what we? Uh, you know what we haven't been doing for like the last three or four episodes? The fuck's Elvis's name? No, we've been doing. What's... I've been mentioning it. We just haven't really had bigger discussions about it. Oh, maybe I'm just actually foolish and completely forgotten because I don't remember what his name was from last uh, time. Or well, the this time, time that. we guessed it, we're going to discuss two names because the name in the book is completely different, which is interesting. Okay. Well, we're not going to use the name in the book because Elvis is. Well, no, no, it's not going to be in our official listing. I just want us to have a little discussion, which we feel so it would be better for Elvis. Yeah, if if you think that they made the right choice by changing it. So in the book, no, actually, let's start with the movie. In the movie, his name is Greg Nolan. That's a bad name for Elvis. Okay. It's not great. Yeah, it's not great. In the book, his name is Oliver Bloom. Um, that's a worse name for Elvis for sure. Okay. Oliver Bloom. So then you're you agree with the the writers being like, well, let's change it. He's more of a Greg. Yeah. He's no, I Oliver. I know exactly why they changed it. Yeah, Oliver is too hoity-toity. Just Oliver right. is too uh, London street Bougie. for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please, sir, can I have some more? Please, sir, can I have some Motown? Can I have some bitches? 
What if they what if they kept Bloom though? Could he have been Greg Bloom? Um fucking Let's not think about it too much. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, let's just move on. <laughs> okay. So we want to talk direct let's talk shop. We're gonna talk about the title of the book, which was the original title of the movie. Alright. The book is called Kiss My Firm But Pliant Lips. I feel like I've heard that before. Probably when I told you I was reading the book Kiss My Firm But Pliant Lips. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been it. It was made into That's this crazy. movie. That's crazy. What a crazy fucking title. I'm glad they I, changed it. Well, yeah, I guess they're just like, no, nah, it's a little too much of a mouthful. It feels like a very book title. I'd love to say Kiss My Firm But Pliant Ass. That's all I can <laughs> think about when you say that. <laughs> Kiss My Firm But Pliant Buttocks. That's actually the line that Bernice says to him when they're sitting on the beach. Oh, in the book so yeah there's in the uh, I'm, here's another major difference just yeah we have one character another girl for like one scene right he attempts to have like yes. a date with another girl yes in the book yeah he starts going steady with her and he's juggling two girls and two jobs oh okay but i was like well it's a good thing they, i'm like they had to they're definitely gonna have to like minimize some of these subplots just to fit it in even though the book is pretty short it's like 178 pages gotcha but there's, you know, it's constantly boom, boom, boom. It's like a 90 minute movie. And so I think that was the right choice. They, they were able to kind of like combine a few elements because in the movie, as he's escorting that other date out, that's when she falls over. She makes she she throws herself down and hits her head on the yeah. table. Well, as in, in the book, it's the part where she goes back to his place and she's like, oh, Harry kicked me out. And he's like, oh, I don't care if Harry kicked you out. You got to go. Right. And then he like leaves the room for a second and then she throws herself down and hits her head on the table. So they just kind of like smoosh those two sequences okay. to streamline the process. Gotcha. But everything, yeah, all, her character is like one-to-one. Bernice Baby, who she claims that her husband is Harry Baby. Yeah. God, look, I don't want to talk about any of these characters. <laughs> I hate them so much. Let's do, let, okay. We'll talk about the actors then. Yeah, let's do that. Get the actors out of the way. Let's and then we'll, get we'll the... swing back around Sir, to get to the yeah, swing director. Back. Yeah. We're going to save Norman Torog because this is his last film. Okay. And I get to finally talk about some nice things he did where he was sure. early on in his career. <laughs> okay. She doesn't believe me, but it's true. I don't. I don't believe you. Okay. So Michelle Carey plays Bernice. Yeah. She... So like I was saying, Elvis saw her in an episode of the TV series Burke's Law in 1965. Yep. So she was in season three, episode one of Burke's Law. It was a show that ran from 63 to 66. Mm-hmm. And he saw her on that show and he's just like, that's the girl. We need her for the next, for this movie. Okay. And I get, I'm like, I'm not, he was right. He guess he's got, <laughs> he probably should have had more decision in, in, in other movies, I think. Now, <laughs> if, if that's the, the kind of intuition he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The same year as this, 68, she was in a movie called The Sweet Ride, where she played a character named Thumper Stevens. Oh, hey, you want to hear an interesting fact about that? My grandmother's nickname was Thumper. Oh. And uh, it's a name that you gave to people that beat other people up if you were good at thumping. I see. Mm-hmm. I don't know the context in that movie. That was just, I pulled it because I was like, oh, the same year as this movie. That's what she was doing as well. Yeah. So there's her. Yeah. Then the whole other, so there's, there's that plot of the movie, but the main other plot that is taking up the majority of the time is that Elvis walks into a building. Yeah. And he wants to go, in the book, it's only, it's not a very big building. It's only got, he's going to the fifth floor, but he ends up, or he wants to go to the seventh floor, but he ends up on the fifth floor. And this one, they go, they, yes. they upgraded to like 18th and 21st. Sure. So he wants to go to the 21st floor to get a job in advertising. Yeah. Also in the book, he's a painter, not a photographer, but that's, you know, small Whatever. little details. So he wants to go to the 21st floor, but the elevator stops on the 18th and then he gets distracted by this big cardboard cutout of a lady scantily clad because right. it's, a, it's called a Classic Cat Magazine. 
and the book it was called Haiti Magazine. And so he gets off, and then he he it's the, there's a lot of dialogue that is verbatim from the book. His whole exchange of like tell him, well, other than his name being Oliver in the book, he's like tell him Greg is here with the truth, and that like right. both receptionists are like oh, oh, okay, and then it just it works. <laughs> so like he, that's how he gets his meeting, and then he's like the truth is I need a job. <laughs> um, <laughs> Funny. So yeah, so he gets a job there just kind of like through happenstance and then he still c- commits to going to the next floor to get the job he wanted to in the first place. So he gets both jobs and he has to do both jobs, full-time jobs yeah. and he goes one okay. up and down from floor to floor. Now, yes. Here's my question. Why are the two guys that he works for mad that he's working two jobs? It's just one of those things you don't do in business apparently. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I at least so. at least the 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 magazine guys like you know what I I admire your chutzpah. That's good, good job. You know what? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Two full time jobs. Wow. Yeah, but like everybody our age works two or three or four or five jobs, right? Like we don't know if an employer gave me shit because I had to go work another job, I'd quit. <laughs> Be like, yikes. See you later. It's your problem. I mean, in the book, I they they, eat, they chew right? him out more because the fact he's only putting half the time because he's going back between the two. Uh, but he okay, also, well, yeah, yeah. but just like in the book, he insists like, have I never, have I missed a deadline? Have I not been putting in the quality work that you yeah. wanted for me? But yes, out of principle, it's true. He's not actually doing the hours, the full hours right. that he says. He's I gotcha. Doing. See if you're on, yeah, if you're on salary, that would like that would mean something right also he's so. just like so bold with them that he like demands advances on his paychecks and stuff so that he can just blow it on a nice mm-hmm. new car and like a yeah i'd like so this was added for the movie's benefit is that they also have different dress codes so he has to change when he goes up and down right just to get a little extra visual business to do and i like all those shots where it's like a, it's on a, the camera's on a crane and it's just tracking him going up and down the flights of stairs and they even speed up the footage like two times uh, when he has to do it like a few more times. So the reason I brought that whole plot up is just because so he has two bosses and we're going to talk about them next. Okay. So Don Porter plays Mr. Lansdowne, who's the magazine editor, publisher. So he started out in the 40s doing a bunch of like B-movie stuff. He was the star alongside June Lockhart in the 1946 movie She-Wolf of London. Oh, <laughs> Okay. Which is like, it's it's like a werewolf movie, but it's a lady that's a werewolf. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> An American she-wolf in London. Amazing. And we're going to take a little tangent. We're going to go down a little road to talk about Gidget. Are you familiar with Gidget? Uh, no. Okay. Is it like a fidget spinner? No. No. Though it is apparently um, technically a portmanteau of girl and midget which is not nice which is not acceptable oh that's not nice but this was written back in 1957 because she's awful tiny um this was so let's 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 give you the full context of why this is relevant did did she show up in the film did she show up in the movie no no no. okay we'll get to it we'll get to it what what are we talking about then (laughs) the 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 mr lansdowne don porter he played the dad played the, in the okay. TV show version, there's a long history to get you though. I didn't want to just jump into the TV show because oh, I was actually like, okay. So Frederick Connor <laughs> based the character on his teenage daughter Kathy, and he wrote a novel in 1957 called Gidget, the Little Girl with Big Ideas. She was kind of like a, a beach bum, you know, spunky teen surfer person. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a big hit, is the point. And then they sold the rights, and they made a movie in '59 called Gidget. It starred Sandra D as Gidget. Like, look at me, I'm Sandra D. Yes. Like that. Yeah, yeah, that's Andrew D. Wow. And they made two sequels, but they, just like James Bond, they, like, recast Gidget, like, in on the, <laughs> multiple times. 
So in the sequel, Gidget Goes Hawaiian in 1961, <laughs> which, yes, did come out the same year as Blue Hawaii, 61. Okay. So Gidget Goes Hawaiian. Oh, did you know, this is another small tangent within a tangent, <laughs> that they were originally going to plan to do a sequel to Beetlejuice called Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. Oh, my God. It's That's a real thing. Great. Look it up. Okay. Maybe there's still time. I mean, Michael Keaton's still around. Anyways, the point is, <laughs> the 1961 movie Gidget Goes Hawaiian, Gidget is now played by Deborah Wally, who played the drummer Les in Spin Out. Oh. It was in those Beach Party movies. Okay. And then in the third and final of the Gidget trilogy, mm-hmm. Gidget Goes to Rome in 1963, <laughs> she was now played by Cindy Carroll. Awful. Okay. So then after those three movies happened, and they were all hits. Yeah. But I guess not enough to spawn more sequels. They turned the character and the, the whole Gidget thing into a TV show. Okay. Which only lasted a season, but it was 32 episodes, and Gidget was played by Sally Field. Oh, I know who that is. Yes. Yeah. We'll go on to do another show, which we will not name. That was also a, a, oh, right. a big That's hit. Oh, right. That's That's why I know who she is. I was like, yeah, I finally recognized somebody. And then Matt will tell me where it's from, <laughs> and it will all be fine. But then it wasn't. Because it wasn't. Well, it's fine. It was another show. It was much more successful. It lasted for more seasons. But that's not what's relevant. We're talking about Gidget. And so <laughs> Don Porter, who plays Mr. Lansdowne in this movie, he played the dad in Gidget. He was the co-lead in that show. Okay. All right. And that was, you know, what he was would have been best known for when he appeared in this movie. Like, it was literally, like, the year right. before. That's sad, I think. I'm just... That's a little bit sad. <laughs> that you go to work on an Elvis movie and you say, what are you best known for? Oh, uh, Gidget. <laughs> all the kids were, all the, as with, you know, this is like when yeah. Elvis was at his peak and all the kids loved his Elvis movies, even though they were bad. Okay. They loved I, these yeah. Gidget movies, okay? It was the same idea of like the beach party movies. It's just oh like, we're having God, fun. We're just doing whatever. Awful. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot next. of singers that have played Gidget and there's a singer who plays the other boss, Mr. Penlo. He's much older and he doesn't do any singing, but that was actually Rudy Valley. Okay. Who was a saxophone player and singer and became a band leader later. Mm-hmm. He's actually one of the first crooners. Oh, really? Like before being Crosby, before Frank Sinatra and Perry Como. Yeah, he was like the first who kind of established that style. Wow. And his big Wait, hit. Wait, didn't, didn't Dean Martin establish that style of music? They were both around the same time as Frank Sinatra. The Brat Pack is like, that's your 50s. This guy, his big hit was from 1929. Oh. He was, he, he created, he wrote the lyrics for the jazz standard Deep Night. Hmm. which was, was composed by uh, Charles E. Henderson, but he wrote the lyrics for it and he sings it. And so that would go on to do what it does. And so that was kind of like a little like, hey, look, it's Rudy Valley. He's like an old man now. Hmm. He's, he's become of the Strange. age where he plays the boss of a character in an Elvis movie. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Next, we're going to move on to Harry. Okay. Who? Harry what? Harry baby. <laughs> were you a Harry baby? No. No? no, not particularly. Oh, I was a really, I was a really hairy baby. Damn, I was like covered in hair, but it, I mean, it was all like localized onto my scalp, which was really nice. Right, but it was, it was tons concentrated. Yeah, it was a shit ton of hair. Remember when babies like, <laughs> just as a tangent, like I don't know, I feel like babies used to be born with more hair. Like all of the photos I've seen of babies back pre- in my day, I don't know what's wrong with the kids these no, days. No, it's true. Getting born it's and true. They don't have enough hair. Pre the year 2000, babies used to be born with like a lot of freaking hair. And I've never seen a baby since that has been born after the 2000s that, that had a full head of hair. It's a conspiracy. We got. We should be looking into yeah. this. What the heck is going on? We should, yeah. What are what they are putting in our baby food? Reviewing Elvis movies when the real science and the real shit that matters, it's hairless babies. The fuck's up with that shit? Next thing you know, we're going to have a children of men situation on our hands, okay? This is how it starts. 
<laughs> yeah, it starts with the hair and then the skin, and then by the time you get to the end of it, it's just bones that come out of you. They're not even alive anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's grotesque. Hey, anyways, we're going to move on this to- This strange. Let's talk about Harry Baby. Yes. Who is Played he? Played by Dick Sargent. Ooh. <laughs> Sergeant Dick. Haha. Yes. Funny. <laughs> Dick Sargent. Yes. <laughs> Dick that wasn't even his okay. name. That was the stage name he chose because it was oh, the name of an illustrator. That's from... so unfortunate. I know. That's so fucking funny. Imagine choosing your name. What do you want to be when you grow up? Dick Sergeant. <laughs> oh, okay, well, are you ready for what his actual name is? Oh my God. No. What is it? He was born Richard Stanford Cox. He was Dick Cox. <laughs> So now you see Dick this was Cox. actually an upgrade because it um, would have been yeah, it, no, a lot more was, funnier yeah. if he was Dick Cox. Yeah, it would have been way funnier. Anyways. Tell us about Dick Sargent. He plays Harry. The year after this would become best known for playing Darren Stevens on Bewitched. Oh, the so, guy that um, she's always giving heck to. Well, yeah. Yeah. For the first five, it was it was an eight season show. And for the first five season, it was Dick York that played Darren Stevens. So many dicks. I don't know. A lot of dicks, yeah. yeah. Fucking shitload of Maybe dicks, that was man. part of the deal. Like, we got to get someone to replace him, but he has to also be named Dick. Like, we can't. Because <laughs> otherwise people would be confused. <laughs> Who's this guy? Yeah. Oh, he's Dick. Okay, I know Dick. Who the hell's Vagina Thorpe? <laughs> we don't want that around here. <laughs> Amazing. Getting a little body on this episode. Well, actually, it's thematically appropriate because this movie was a bit more risque than- He's a we pile were... of dicks? Oh. Well, no, because there was like actual dicks? intercourse implied. Oh. You know, we've oh. heard them say the word sex, but it's always been just like kissing. But then it's like they go to bed and then there's like a transition and then it's like the next morning. I did notice that scene. Yeah. And I, I did see that scene and be like, are they actually like doing this? Like, yeah. Huh. I mean, okay. he works for like a quote unquote, like pretty much Playboy magazine in the movie. Yeah, it's a Playboy. So it's a Playboy. Yeah, most people say like this is the only time there was more like an adult themes, but as much as it was. And well, there's just one of the many things that was going on with Stay Away Joe was technically there was like alcohol drinking and other yeah. like more adult things so like but i'm probably they're probably forgetting about that one just because that movie is better left forgotten yeah true yeah absolutely so if anyone wants to just say yeah this is the only time that he got all like <laughs> a little more wrong we'll accept that sure yeah so yes bewitched darren and bewitched dick Sargent. that was a big claim to fame yeah um next up so there's a few random characters that and there's a thing where bernice this isn't from the book but she changes her name Yep. Depending on her mood, she says. But really, she just has many people that know her from di- by different names. Uh, and one of them is the milkman. That's fucking weird. Yes. He's, you don't remember him hanging out, delivering milk, but then at oh, one point, he's having like <laughs> breakfast with no, her. No, sorry. Sorry. I thought that you meant one of her aliases was the milkman. Oh, geez. <laughs> That's now, what that, I was like, There's huh. something there. That could have been interesting. <laughs> yes. No, I remember the milkman. No, there's a few bit parts, but I just wanted to shout out specifically the, the milkman. milkman, who's played by Sterling Holloway. Remember how in Girl Happy, we had the voice of Piglet as the hotel manager? Yes. Now we get the voice of Winnie the Pooh. It's Sterling Holloway. Holy shit. Yes. He doesn't look anything like Winnie the Pooh. Amazing how that works. (laughs) He's a really good actor, Morgan. (laughs) Um, Oh, that's crazy. I didn't even recognize his voice. Yeah. He didn't hold the tenure as long, but he he played Winnie the Pooh from 66 to 77. Yes. And he did many voices for Disney movies. A uh, few mm. cats and yeah. That stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, very distinctive. Mm-hmm. So shout out to him. And then there's the other girl who's only in the one scene. Right. In the movie, she's Ellen. In the book, she's Alice, which is what 
Bernice says her name is when she first meets Elvis on the beach. So maybe it's a little tip of that. Like, we're not keeping the Alice name for some reason, but so anyways, okay. the girl becomes Ellen. The, he meets her at the party. It's the same, like, setup and everything. Right. Except in the book, she's not, like, obsessed with astrology, but, I mean, that's just a fun little whatever. Gotcha. She was played by Celeste Yarnall. Ooh, it's a nice name. Yeah. So the same year as this, she was in the movie Eve from 19, 1968. She played Eve, <laughs> the title character. She's the star. <laughs> She was a beautiful jungle girl that some Whoa. adventurer stumbled upon. Nice. <laughs> Fabulous. Um, and here's, watch, look at this triple whammy. Okay. She also appeared in a single episode of Burke's Law, Bewitched, and Gidget. All three shows the past characters we were talking about have been in. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Huh. It was an earlier Bewitched episode, so it wasn't the one that had Dick Sargent, but still. Gotcha. Just the fact that all three shows were mentioned earlier, and then they all come back here because she was in one episode of each is yeah and even though it would be the thing that he does immediately after this the comeback special we did bring up in our episode about the comeback special that the blonde lady who dances around with him during the whole extended like bordello sequence and stuff she's in this movie yep and at the time i was like she's credited as mermaid what the heck is that but it turns out of course she's, she's the, a model yeah, she's the, yeah, dressed up as a mermaid, a mermaid too Listen, there's a dream sequence with like a dog man. There could have been an actual mermaid in this movie. That's, I'm just, you know, you can never be sure. That's true. But yeah, her cat, she's, and he calls her Sally. So Sally the mermaid is played by Susan Henning, and she was also in the 68 comeback special. And the last person that I want to shout out is Mr. Vernon Presley. His dad is in this movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. We talked about that he was going to be here. Yes. Where is he? Well, I was about to ask you the same thing. I have no idea. Did you see An him? impossible task because I don't even think you know what he looks like. I have no idea what he looks like. Does I mean, he look like Elvis? Uh, Maybe like an older, I mean, he's gray-haired right. kind of. Gotcha. You know. Okay. No. The answer is no because no one looks like, looks like Elvis. Right. Gotcha. But there's a photo shoot near the end that Elvis attends. He has to like drive across town to get to it. And he's late. And the, the guy who's always yep. like being snippy uh-huh. with him. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, set up the, uh, use this reflector. And he's like, oh, push further back, further back. And the guy falls in the pool and he goes, eh. anyways, it's like a scene of like a fancy dinner setting, this table, big long table. Yep. And then there's a lady at one end and the dude at the other. The dude is Elvis's dad, Vernon Presley. Oh, okay. So he's just, cre- well, he's uncredited, but he, I guess he plays like a model for the photo shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Neat. Is that all for the actors? That's it. Actresses? That's all I'm going to go okay. into. Cool Unless you want yeah. me to dig for more. No, I really I, don't. So I know let's you don't. talk about the director and the cinematographer and the people that are about the the writer of the writer the put 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 Let's do that. Okay. Wow. We actually you know what you know. We're doing this backwards, but we didn't even mention the synopsis and like. Let's do this. Okay. Let's go back. Okay. This movie came out October twenty third, nineteen sixty eight. It sure did. Yeah. Then December third, nineteen sixty eight is when the comeback special would air. Right. Right. But we did the comeback special before we did this movie. Yes, because we were doing it on the anniversary it comes out, December third. Ah. Which was also oh, my I birthday. See. Remember? Congratulations. I don't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> so this came out in the year 1968. It was a good year. It would be the last 1968 movie. Wow. Next time it will be 1969 and it will be the, the this will be it. <laughs> Three more to go. Nice. Yes. Haha. <laughs> MGM once again. Yep. So the synopsis from IMD says photographer Greg Nolan moonlights in two full-time jobs to pay the rent, but has trouble finding time to do them both without his bosses finding out. Which, like I said, is literally just one part and not even the most focused on part of the story. It's really about this yeah, lady it's that's really like... Strange. Yeah, it's really anyways, strange. Anyways, anyways. Like I said, we're going to work our way up to Norman Torok. So let's start with 
the writers. Okay. Because we'll, we'll talk about the book. Oh, wait. Yeah. Speaking of the book yeah. again, though, we forgot yeah. to mention that other than the alternate title being the original book title of Kiss My Firm Applying Lips. Oh, yeah. The title in France and or French Canada was Le Grand Frisson, mm. which is like the big thrill. Wow. But also you could say Frisson is in like, is like shiver. So like when he's cold at the beginning, I guess it also applies to that. Hmm. Strange. Anyways, Dan Greenberg wrote the book okay. and also co-wrote the but screenplay. Why? Why did he write the book? Hey, he's a writer, and it was a big hit. <laughs> he wrote some other books that were also adapted into movies, yeah, including a novel he wrote called Philly that was made into a movie in 1981 called Private Lessons. Okay. He wrote the screenplay for that. Right. And then he co-wrote the screenplay for the William Friedkin horror movie from 1990, The Guardian. Right. Or it's like a horror thriller. And it was based on his book, The Nanny, because it is about a nanny being hired for a household and then... Bad things, you know? Gotcha. The other writer for this is Michael A. Hoey, who was the writer for Stay Away Joe. Gotcha. And he wrote and directed the 1966 movie, The Navy versus the Night Monsters. Yes, yeah, we talked about that already. Yes. So the cinematographer is Fred J. Konekamp, also returning from Stay Away Joe. Yeah, how did you feel about the cinematography in this one? Yeah, no, it has more of that naturalistic, like there's a lot of location shooting once again. Yeah. Yeah, I did notice that. We're not in a studio. It doesn't feel like like so artificial, you know? Yeah. The only thing, though, for me is that for some reason, I felt like this movie had a really small budget, even though, like, the location shots were, like, way better. I mean, and, like, yeah, there's the probably equivalent. It was strange. I don't know. I couldn't explain it. They're definitely not, like, putting as much money as they used to. We're not flying out to Hawaii and stuff, you know? True. Actually, yeah, I just want to double check because I think we actually mentioned yeah. all of my noteworthy factoids just while talking about the things. Hey, nice. Elvis's dad cameo. I did, I guess I did, there's one that I didn't mention is that he obviously he didn't drive for all of that beach buggy sequence at the beginning. Right. But for the most of it, like you can tell when he's driving, it's him along the beach and stuff or like the close-up yeah. shots. And it's not just like with a rear projection or like on the flatbed of a truck or something being followed. He's on the beach. He's going through the surf. Uh, and the fact that he personally requested Michelle Carey after seeing her in Brooks Law. Yeah, 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 we got that. Okay, so the dog, which you hate because you're a person yeah. who doesn't like dogs. I, what do you want from <laughs> Listen, man, you tell somebody that you don't like dogs and they're like, oh, how could you not like the most perfect animals in the whole world? And then you say to them, yeah, you know, I got mauled by a dog when I was a kid. And they're like, oh, well, that's okay. And it's like, come on, guys, get it together. Not every dog is a good dog. And not every person has to like dogs on the on the basis that that every dog that you've ever met is a good dog. What if I and told this you? Dog probably smells bad. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Please insult this dog more. I want to hear what no, you really I won't. think. That's enough. He was probably well trained. He didn't look like he didn't bite anybody. That's great. I'm glad for him. What but if I, I told? I don't have to like him. He's ugly. God damn it. Okay. Weird. Nope. Keep weird going. But gross face. You've fallen well, into my a, trap card. He's not. I mean, because he's not ugly because he's an ugly dog. He's an ugly dog because he's from an ugly breed. It's That's Elvis's ugly. dog. Good. It's his personal dog he owned. So you've just gone and bashed him no. over and over again. No, I don't care. Don't care. I don't like dogs. I don't have to like dogs. I hate dogs. They smell bad. They look dumb. They act dumb. And they're too big. And even the small ones, if they're not too big, they're too fucking annoying. It's just that simple. Get yourself a cat, okay? <laughs> or a hamster or a fish you know see i'm a cat person too but i can at least not overcompensate look, in my hatred for the other look if you bring me a dog and it's a very gentle quiet soft well-behaved animal 
then I can accept that that is a good dog and I can enjoy the company of that dog. And even if that dog, you know, maybe he's a little more playful, maybe he's a little more energetic, you know, that's okay too. But most dogs are not like that. Most dogs are just like the, the bare minimum training has gone into making them fucking withstandable as a, as an existing breathing living thing. <laughs> Like the bare minimum, right? And and they just don't get it because they're dogs. You know, it's not their fault that they're stupid. It's just they're dogs. When a cat is stupid, it doesn't fucking take up so much time and energy that it's the only thing I can think about when it's in the room. You <laughs> I just... have only you've been you've led a very blessed life with the cats you've known. If that's your yeah, opinion, but no, it is true. I, the same thing goes for cats. It, some people have only known cats that have attacked them and have been real fucking psychopaths you know i get it you don't have to like cats either i think we've lost fuck dogs what little <laughs> fan base we had left it's yeah. gonna turn out that like 90 percent no, of the, the listeners no, are all fan are no. dog people no i'm not doing it not doing it not doing it i'm glad you love your dog i'm sure your dog is good to you i don't want anything to do with it anyways Thinky, you didn't actually fall it. into a trap because it wasn't actually elvis's dog that was the common <laughs> No, 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 that was the common misconception because he owned two Great Danes. Right. One of them was Brutus. Oh. They thought that the dog in this was Brutus, but it's not. Priscilla Presley says that it was just a trained dog for the movie because, of course it is. You, you got to train him to do stuff. He's doing specific, like, things in this movie. I get you. So whose dog is it? The trainer. Oh, well, okay. I mean, it. some people, they have a trainer for their dog, and but the trainer doesn't own the dog, right? I think the majority have of the- seen Best in Show? That's a, that's a mockumentary. But it speaks truth. <laughs> Anywho, uh, yes, yeah, slightly more adult themes, locations shooting. So yeah, along the Malibu coast. Yeah. At Marineland. So that shot of oh. uh, with the dolphin jumping out and uh, grabbing the food. Oh, nice. Was that Marineland? Everyone loves Marineland. No. Except for the animals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Down we do with not, Marineland. We do not. Anyways, and the Los Angeles Music Center. Right. Everyone loves the Los Angeles Music Center. <laughs> Elvis was paid $850,000 plus 50% of the profits. That's almost a million dollars. It's pretty close. Yes. It's I don't think the 50% off. of the profits was enough to push it over there. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, these movies aren't being hits anymore as we've, we've talked. Right. Yeah. So that's all that. Okay. So we'll go back okay. up to the other writer. No, we already did him. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's now, talk about- Did we do the cinematographer? We were just finishing with him. We that's, did. Oh, yeah. We got right. Yeah. Fred J. Konekamp, who did the fourth- and final Magnificent Seven film. Remember, there were three sequels. He did the Magnificent Seven ride in 1972. Gotcha. Cinematographer for that. Cool. Okay. This is the final film of Norman Torog. He did nine movies with Elvis. This was his ninth film. Let's go to his early career. Let's talk about why he was actually great. Okay. So it be like the, the clickbait title. Um, Norman Torog was great, actually. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Look, some of what Norman Torog did was great, but the rest of what Norman Torog did was Elvis movies, and they suck. Yeah, I would be like, you you t pluck me like decades from now when I'm like almost 70, and you tell me to animate yeah. some shit, right? You tell me to make yeah. like some crazy animation. I'm obviously yeah. not going to be able to do it to the best of my abilities as I did when no, I was no, in my no. prime. No, that's that's not how it goes with an artist. An artist, if they are willing and... And if they have the capacity, sometimes you do. When you get old, you don't have the capacity anymore. But your skill set doesn't deteriorate over time unless you start getting really lazy and sad, which is 
what these Elvis movies feel like, to be honest. Unless you started going blind. Yeah, unless I started going blind. That is fair. But, you know, fucking, you can only get better unless you start going blind. Which is what happened to Norman Torog. I'm just saying, I have a feeling that between film one and film nine, the blindness probably wasn't the contributing factor to how bad these movies are. The scripts. It's the scripts, Morgan. It's you not the, It's not just the scripts, man. This is, this is a team of people that get together and collectively to su- decide to take a shit on movies, okay? It's not just any one person that is the problem with these movies. They're all the problem. Okay, and what if we also discuss the fact that he signed a contract, so you have to do these movies? Now that's sad. That's the way the studio system worked. Yeah, that's sad. If if that's the case, which it is, obviously, because you've said it, you know, when you're mandated by a studio to make garbage, you know, it's a little bit, I'll give him that, you know. That's one of the conditions under which I would create bad art. Is exactly. Legally obliged. Should, I should have started with that yeah. in the first place. You should have, yeah. <laughs> the point is, at the age of 32, yeah. Yeah. he won an Academy Award for Best Director. He was the youngest director to ever win an Academy Award for Best Director. Wow. And what it did you get it for? A 1931 movie called Skippy. Ooh. So he would actually hold this record until 2017 when Damien Chazelle won for La La Land. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Damien Chazelle was also 32, but he was 222 days younger. Wow. So that's that's how little by little he beat Norman Torog. Damn. Crazy. So in 68, Torog retired from directing. Obviously, this was his final film that he worked mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Uh, and he went on to teach at the University of Southern California, the School of Cinema. Ah, that's nice. And he remained a board member of the Directors Guild of America. Nice. And he settled down and owned a little camera shop in Canoga Park. Aww. And he went blind, and then he served as a director for the Braille Institute in Los Angeles. Aww. Nice. Good good job, Norman. Thank you after, for After service. all the vitriol I've spit, it's fine because, <laughs> you know. Well, you know, I'm not like a, what's that word, soulless. I mean, I am, but I just have to, you know, you have to pr- find a way to pretend to be nice or else we'll lose all of our viewers. <laughs> so he passed away in April of 1981, and his ashes were scattered into the Pacific Ocean. He was 82. Wow. So, so did he? What else did he do? Like, I thought you were going to talk about like a bunch of his stuff. I talked about did his Academy be- Award. He he's, he he directed over yes. like 180 movies. You want me to list every single oh, one? I well, tell me about some of the more noteworthy ones. Maybe I might know one of them. I'm not gonna be mean and say i highly doubt that you're going to be able to name any of these because that's what we've learned from this podcast haven't we (laughs) but maybe the fans might know something maybe the fans want to hear more about norman torog there's a book about him by the way if you want it's called like elvis's favorite director it's all about their collaboration i i feel too like i bet you any amount of money that one of the reasons that these films were so successful was because he was as qualified as he was. Like, to make two movies a year, that's not an easy feat. At the age of, like, like 70 or 60, whatever he was. Yeah, it's not an easy feat, right? So you gotta imagine that he was definitely a powerhouse for sure. Yeah, actually, oh, look at that. You know who wrote the book? is Michael A. Hoey, the screenwriter for this. Oh, weird. He wrote the book, Elvis's Favorite Director, The Amazing 52-Year Career of Norman Torog. Yes. Get it at a retailer near you if you want and learn more about it. Yeah. He directed a bunch of shorts. He started directing as far back as 1920. Holy cow. That's a long, long, long time ago. Did like That's more than 100 years ago. Yes. Matt, don't be so sassy with me. I'm I'm agreeing with you that Norman Torah. And I am agreeing with you, agreeing with me. (laughs) You don't have to do it so spicily, my guy. Okay, what would tell us more. Tell us more. 
as a director, he directed uh, 106 shorts mm-hmm. and feature films. It was 78. Wow. Impressive. Yeah. We've got, what do we got here? See if I can find something. He directed a 1931 adaptation of Huckleberry Finn. Oh. Directed a 1934 movie called Mrs. Wiggs of the Cabbage Patch. <laughs> you understand the, the issue here now where you're like. <laughs> well, I don't, I'm just saying you were talking a lot of, you know, you were really talking him up. I thought. I was, was... I, my words were, I have nice things to say about his career. That's what my words were. Yeah, but you said one nice thing, and it was that he was an Academy Award winner, and that he worked for the Brill Institute and other things like his later career. Oh, you know, oh, I see. Okay, like he I was see. a nice person. Oh, okay, I see. Like he could have been a cynical asshole, as many people in Hollywood is, but like he was a gentle, just an old man who was just doing the best he could with the material they gave him. Bless him. And you went over and kicked him in the shins <laughs> and kept spitting on him for all nine feature films. I just didn't like them. I don't have to like them because they're bad. <laughs> and I don't have to like that Norman Torog made them. You make a bad movie, that's what happens. You don't like your contract, quit. I know it's not, you know, all coming up daisies. I get that there's consequences to that. But, you know, everybody makes a decision as an artist what they want to represent in their life's work. And I'm glad to hear that he did some nice things, you know, generally. But that doesn't mean that I have to like him on the basis of the Elvis movies. Because I don't. Because they're garbage. That's fine. There's just so much hate in the world. And I'm of the opinion that we should try to be a bit more kinder. <laughs> but okay. you know what? I guess this isn't the place to do that. I guess my dream... Matt, you invited the wrong girl to make 32 episodes of Elvis movies with. What were you thinking? <laughs> you should have chose like a one of those people I would, that... You know what? Honestly, let me, <laughs> full no bullshit. I was thinking you would just mellow out maybe after... <laughs> a while <laughs> i thought you know I'm i i so meddled sorry. i mellowed out <laughs> i don't think you've mellowed out i think you are the same as you've always been way too interested in movies yep so he's gone officially there's no more norman torog elvis movies after this one that is correct what do you want to bet there's going to be a severe dip in quality make up wait a minute make up your mind then are these bad movies and they that... are. They're, they're bad movies. But as I said earlier, you have to figure that, like, he was a fucking powerhouse. He probably had a system set up in doing these movies that was unrivaled in terms of churning out movies like this. And the idea that another director is going to come in, like, it probably looks easy to everybody on the outside, you know, looking in. But I have no doubt in my mind that another director is going to pop in here and we're going to see a substantial dip in the in the quality of these works. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Yeah, I guess we'll find We know out. that the director of Stay Away Joe is returning for The Trouble with the Girls. I hate and that, that we know that we can't, we, we're not going to blame him for the writing. Yeah. Well, you got to make money <laughs> to not starve. Look, it wouldn't matter who directed it. This is the, like, the, I'm not picking on Norman Torok specifically. It could be some other Joe Shum Schmuck guy or whoever. And it usually the is. Bum There's like, wherever. he's only did nine out of 31. That's, that's correct. And if some other bum schmucker, whatever the heck guy came in and directed nine Elvis movies and they were all terrible, I don't, I wouldn't like him either. And now you're going into the next movies, assuming that they're going to be worse. You have the wrong yeah. mindset. You're being so pessimistic. I am very pessimistic. You're being so antagonistic in this episode. I am. I'm going to cut I so know, much of this yeah. out. 
It's too argumentative. Yeah, no, we've we've, we've skewed past the point of like playful banter <laughs> to just like this is this is I can't can't use any of this. This is unusable. <laughs> I think some of it's usable. Some of it. So you have any other uh, positive things to say about live a little, love a little? No. <laughs> so it has some no, costumes. No, I don't. And yeah, it did have some nice costumes. It it had one song that was fun, and that's about it. Had two songs it. that were fun. No, I had two songs that were fun. You like Wonderful World? Uh, not the first song, the second song. Oh, Edge of Reality. I liked it. It had that a little pep in its step, you know, a little something something. Have any other fun facts for us, Matt? Uh, Jack Regis, who did the dream sequence choreography, which was the most like there was like full actual choreography going on. There was like dancers right, in the yeah. background and stuff. Mm-hmm. He did a bunch of like TV special things, mm-hmm. including portrait of patula which is not to be confused with the singular just patula television special that the guy who did the comeback special also did it's a completely different one gotcha and oh a 1976 tv movie called charo completely unrelated unrelated to the charo that we're gonna watch yes because it starred That's you know the, the media personality charo no okay who's that well she went by the singular name charo Okay. She was Spanish. All right. So Charo, the movie Charo, two R's. Charo, oh. the lady Charo, one R. Uh, that was her stage name. She was born Maria Rosario Pilar Martinez Molina Beaza, singer, comedian, and flamenco guitarist. Ooh, spicy. Yeah. Oh, that was, yeah, coochie coochie. That was her catchphrase. Gotcha. She said in an interview, she once said, around the world, I am known as a great musician, but in America, I am known as the coochie coochie girl. That's okay, because coochie coochie <laughs> has taken me all the way to the bank. <laughs> That's I like her. <laughs> yeah, she's great. She's immediately my kind of girl. Yeah. All right. Do you have any other facts for us? Anything else you'd like to let us know about this particular Elvis movie? I actually, I'm just going to say I liked it. Oh, yes. But like in an ironic fashion. Yes. But also, maybe not. It's hard to tell at a certain point. Mm, I feel you. Um, I didn't like it, but it's uh, it's definitely not the worst. For me, it's on par with the one where Elvis is teaching all the girls who aren't eating how to, like, I don't know, work on a ranch or something, and then there's a Scooby-Doo. Oh, Tickle Me. Yeah, Tickle Me. It reminds me a lot of the same feeling. Ooh, wait, and- you were just about to say Scooby-Doo ending. There you go. I finally yeah. remembered one thing I did want to bring up. Oh, okay. So this movie features a Great Dane, and Scooby-Doo is famously a Great Dane. Oh. And also, in Tickle Me, we talked about how, like, it had a very Scooby-Doo feel, but Scooby-Doo technically didn't start airing on TV until 1969. The character didn't even exist yet. Oh, weird. So retroactively, we might think, oh, that feels very Scooby-Doo, but when Tickle but Me aired- that wasn't a point of reference. It would have been more like, oh, oh that reminds me of the Bowery Boys or Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein's monster. You know, some one of those kind of Neat. things. Yeah. Okay. So there, nice. There you go. Nice fact. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess we'll close it out then. We will see you next with Charo. That's right. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's almost like we were just <laughs> talking about Charo. And maybe that's why it was in front of your mind. So right before we wrap up, usually we haven't bothered because it's so hard to find any of these Elvis movies readily streaming. But Charo is a weird exception because it was like an independent production. It wasn't a major studio that put it out. So I don't know what its copyrights might be in limbo or something. We'll get into that more in the actual episode proper. Okay. Suffice to say, if you you fans out there, because I'll just say I'll get ahead of it a bit. This is one I've already seen before we get to it. And I, it's not particularly great. Matt says it's good. Yeah. It's not particularly great, but there was the potential there. It's the, it's the most unlike all the Elvis movies we talked about. There is no singing. Right. It's just a straight Western. There's only like a title sequence that's very Spaghetti Western-esque. So if you guys like Spaghetti Westerns, you'll probably like this movie. It's got a good, it's got that vibe. Okay. Anyways, 
So from the analytics, I've found that we have a lot of listeners from Australia, Germany, United States, United Kingdom, and Canada. And luckily for all of us, it's readily available to stream for free in all those places. Nice. You got ads, yeah. but otherwise you can watch Charo. And so in Australia, it's available on Tubi, which we also have in Canada. And then there's another one that in my research I found out about, which is pretty much just like Tubi, but it's called Plex, P-L-E-X. And Tubi is T-U-B-I. Plex is the same deal. It's like a streaming service with ads, but you can stream Charo in Canada and Germany and the United States and United Kingdom. Nice. Both Canada and the States have Tubi and Plex, so either or. Mm -hmm. But for Germany, United Kingdom, just Plex. And for Australia, it's Tubi. Gotcha. So if everyone can parse that, get it all together, yes. So if you so wish, you can watch Charo, and then you'll be prepared for next episode in advance. You might actually be more prepared than I am, usually. Because <laughs> even when I watch these movies, sometimes I don't retain anything. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah, I think it'll be fun if the fans kind of watch along with us. I mean, it'll be nice to know. Once again, shout out to my mom. That's what she's been doing. Oh, yeah. Shout she's out. actually oh gone Please. back. Big, Big okay, shout yeah. out to Matt's mom. Can we take a moment to appreciate Matt's mom? Bless her. She's our biggest fan. She's so sweet, and I miss her so much. <laughs> she's she's literally gone back to rewatch the movies she hadn't seen, and then she's re-listening to the episodes after watching the movie again. <laughs> oh my god! This I know. Is, this is so it's it's too wholesome. My gosh! If you all are wondering where I get it from, that's like it's right there. <laughs> it, it's true. Yeah. She's buying yeah. all the movies too. She's like not just. <laughs> She's going out of her way to go to like the hawk shops and stuff to, to buy the DVDs of all the Elvis movies so she can own them all. Can we have a special episode where your mom does like a voice cameo where she comes in and says hello and says what I mean, her I'll be Elvis down there for the holidays. Maybe we can get her in for we should totally some do that, yeah. talk during Charo. Absolutely. We should definitely do that. We'll see. Okay. But yes, back to our sign off. We'll say uh, thank you very much for joining us for this week's episode. It's a joy to have you guys engaging with us. We really love all of the love that we've been getting on Twitter at Elvis has left pod we appreciate that and um, anyway with that we're gonna say thank, thank you thank, thank you very much, much.